after a heck of a tumult of connecting wires and disconnecting wires, we got Stacy Haig. You might recognize that name, the Haginator, from uh, <laughs> last episode. It was not actually Mike Haig who biked with us. It was Brian, apparently, I'm told. Yes, yes. Stacy, what, what do you remember <laughs> from that ride while you munch on your onion? <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually a piece of wire. <laughs> what do I remember? Uh, that Pertaining to my brother, I remember thinking that he crashed because there was a crash. And I was like, oh, my God, is that my brother, Brian? And I, like, freaked out. And then when I saw him, he was like, Stacy, I was worried it was you, too. And we we're like, oh, and we had a really nice brother sister moment really wait sister. if you guys were worried it was each other then was i the one who crashed no. <laughs> nobody crashed i think it was like a car crash it was oh just cars no bikers involved yeah so um, stacy how how do you know the speech guys specifically me i know you mike because i spent Many, many hours looking at your butt and your calves. <laughs> yeah, there's not much to see with my calves, so. <laughs> yeah, in the back of your tire, doing biking for babies. You could then, call Stacy the co-co-founder of Biking for Babies. Oh, that's you so were nice. You were there the first year, mostly sleeping, from what I recall, I Yep. in uh, John well, Paul's car, not, but... Yeah. Yeah, I had the most amazing healed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's time. right. The most amazing part, you haven't aged a day. You look the oh, exact same. Thank you. Yeah, you look the same, no. too. Maybe no, I definitely don't. A little don't. less hair. Okay, so, Stacey, you're going to be introducing the Barbie episode, specifically mm. the speech by America Ferreira's character. Do you remember what yeah. her name is? America. That you just said. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought you did. No, the character's name. Oh, the character? Um, no, I don't actually. I don't remember. Gloria. Gloria, oh, Gloria from Mattel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I understand you've watched this film, right? And probably yeah. the speech. And uh, what's yeah. some of the knee-jerk reactions you remember from the speech or the film? I have heard those, like, um, little speeches, like, on Instagram and stuff where women um, talk about what they're pretty much like the dilemma of being well, I, I think just being human, how there's things you need to balance. And so that's what I thought, thought about. Cause I, I have heard it before and there, there have been better ones, I would say. What, uh, what, yeah. what speech do you have in mind that better captures the feminine <laughs> ethos? There's, there's a, it's a thing. And like on Instagram, they'll pop up every once in a while, like a girl, a woman, like just, Pretty much saying what um, I'm trying to think of an example of a good one. I mean, there was good ones in that speech, too. Like, I, I wouldn't say any like all of them are kind of like they're they're like a lot of people can identify with them. So the reason I thought of you for introducing the speech yeah, <clears throat> is because I appreciate Back in the day, of course, as you referenced the bicycling thousand miles together, you always did capture this really um, pleasant blend of tenacity and femininity. Like you had, I'm not big on like heart stuff on clothing or something, but regardless, you always had like that arts or uh, the, the heart sort of like sparkling icon on your bike shorts. 
<laughs> and oh, um, Hawaiian flowers. You know, sort of like you were saying with balance. And I mean, I think that that sort of harboring both of those energies in a compelling way just makes makes people makes women interesting and fun to be around so you know the fact that you were able to harness both of those things was uh fun and fun and cool so that's that's what compelled me i do remember our first time just hanging out together i suppose it was with jimmy the uh other co-founder of biking for babies at the fellowship with Catholic university students conference in texas that like four mile run we did mm-hmm. i remember that that's when i met you yep. yeah jimmy yep. was on his phone had stuff to do i guess when he was running yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. several phone calls i remember i can't was he not even was he holding his phone because yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah because i'm like <laughs> i don't think headphones were a thing <laughs> Oh, um, I kind of remember that, actually, now that you say it. Okay, so anything else on your mind you want to share? Um, no, but thank you. Thank you for that. That was That's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten, because I do try. Oh, wow. to, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I do try to balance, balance things and trying to be like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think <laughs> I think that just to like an interesting sort of corollary, think about, you know, um, in, you know, Catholics, we obviously emphasize the centrality of Mary, obviously. And of course, you know, there is that traditional femininity of being receptive to the Lord's will for her life. But she <laughs> went to Egypt yeah. on this horse or donkey yeah. and had a baby in a uh, barn. Like those are mm-hmm. those are hardcore things. So, yeah, Stacy, your job at this point is to elegantly unfold in all of your femininity the uh, characters who are hosting this episode. Didn't you say something about like, oh, figure out like what Kens you've been that have been in your life or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that was fun. Yeah, do you wanna do you wanna answer that? Well, since you brought up, okay, one but of hold them. on, I, I need I need a plat I need to platform it. I do recall just so that the audience can can sort of picture Stacy Haig. I remember you telling me at one point when we were hanging out in graduate school. So obviously by that point you're 24 or something that you had never purchased a drink for yourself in a bar. <laughs> oh, I remember that because I remember your, your response. I was like, Oh, <laughs> you, were kind of, you didn't want to buy me a drink or something that. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> the point of telling that story is that, you're you're one is an attractive person if one has reached the age of 25 and they've still never purchased a drink so with that being said there have been a lot of kens in your life because attractive people attract kens in barbie world there's thousands of kens hopefully not that many have been around to pester you but do you remember any kens worth mentioning that ryan gosling remind you of in some way or the other yeah, well, well, one, uh, one particularly, but it'll be fun. You're gonna keep. I can just, <laughs> I'll just bleep out the name, and that makes it sort of oh, more okay. fun too. Well, I mean, when I was thinking about all the, because I actually didn't go to the bars that often, like ever. <laughs> um, but when I was thinking of men in my life that did remind me a little bit of Ken, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but you knew I was gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Even like some even the way I I'll never forget the way he introduced himself. It was like kind I thought it was kind of cute because it was so like Kenish, but and I've, I've never okay, saw, I never how? saw that. Before. What what about he it was, was Kenish? He was uh, well. He he was kind of leaned up against the fence, and he's like, <laughs> and it was <laughs> from the track team. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. Walter, so she's like, she's friends with him, so she introduced me and was like, oh yeah, this is this is does does triathlons. I'm like, oh, are you like, are you part of the triathlon club here? Because I was a freshman, and he's like. He leaned up against the fence. He's like, "Yeah, actually, I'm the I'm the president of the triathlon club." <laughs> but was he saying that to be silly or maybe no? That, no. <laughs> That's why it was. He was just like, actually, <laughs> he definitely was proud of it. But yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Any anything else share on the Ken <laughs> like Ken dumb topic? <laughs> Uh no, I don't know. I don't think I met that many kids. Here we go. Stacy, the floor is all yours. You know the speech. You know who's going to be gabbing about this topic of Barbie and Ken and the impossibility of being a woman, despite Stacy and Anne Marie's uh, mastery of it. Stacy, take over. I am proud to present this episode. It's impossible to be a woman. The speech from the Barbie movie. By Mike Schaefer, my really awesome bicycle friend from school, U of I, <laughs> um, who's good at rock climbing and as uh, good at making a fire, like it's for camping. That <laughs> <laughs> Anne Marie Williams, who is guest hosting. All right, and then Matt Schultz and Landon Free and Ross Johnson, who has a really good smile. And I miss his smile. It would be nice to see him again. Huh. I haven't seen him in a long time. That's all. Well, <laughs> Is that good we, enough? <laughs> as we like to say at the Speech Guys Studios, cue the music. Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all are all here. It's free, free. I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes, and I'm gonna podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the world. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. We are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement. Okay, season four. Woo-wee. Who would have thought we'd get there? Everyone pay up who thought we would not. Yeah. Everyone. How about that. Okay. 
<laughs> and the kickoff season four with a big splash in the Barbie Land pool is Anne Marie Williams herself. <laughs> Anne Marie, yeah. How does it feel to be here? Oh my goodness! This is my repeat. I don't know if it gets much better than this. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, this is Four basically feet. an Amory, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anne Marie is co hosting tonight on account of not just her general greatness in a tradition here at Speech Guys headquarters, but to contribute some special thought to the. Um, the, the wave of mania that is Barbie, specifically the speech from Barbie, as Stacey Haig just introduced moments ago, It Is Impossible to Be a Woman, <laughs> by the character named Gloria, who works for Mattel, has no last name, but she does have a uh, doofus of a husband <laughs> and a daughter with an attitude. Um... <laughs> Played by the America Ferrer from what was that show on ABC? What was that show in like two thousand, early two thousands? Ugly Betty. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh shoot! I remember that being a show. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. I do not remember that. Ah, oh, man, America has come quite a way since then, and in several different ways to interpret that. So. <laughs> With that, why don't we go ahead and take a listen to the speech, just so that we all know all what's on our, on our minds here. So with that, here we go. Okay. It is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful. Why don't you read this? We're not going to use this audio, Anne-Marie, but it might have more spirit behind it if you read it. I was just thinking that. I was like, I guess I'll just... Let me tell you. <laughs> I believe that's my high, being high on agreeableness per Matt's comment here on the, here on the side. Okay. Maybe. All right. You want me to take Some it from the top? <laughs> but not this woman. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're agreeable. <laughs> I didn't write that. It sounds you sounds like you agree. So. It's literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary. But somehow we're always doing it wrong. <laughs> like you have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. <sighs> you have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. 
You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll, just representing a woman, then I don't even know. I mean, I think Anne Marie has to go first. Like what, you know, it's the Barbie movie. What'd you think about it? Um, did you want to see it? Did you see it or did you only see it? Cause you're on this podcast. Can you lead us off? <laughs> sure. So I've read a whole bunch of commentaries on it, but no, I didn't see it. I actually saw the, the trailer when it first came out and thought this looks so incredibly stupid, but also dark. And one of you guys, or maybe one of the one of the commentaries that I read, pointed out that like, don't ruin Barbie for us by being like, women are, or little girls are gonna throw away their dolls when Barbie comes on the scene. Like, no, I played with both dolls and Barbies growing up, so I didn't love the dramatic effect or for dramatic effects. We have to pit one against the other. Uh, it's like, no, yeah. I loved playing with Barbies, and I also enjoyed playing with dolls, and maybe not necessarily at the same age. Um, but something that strikes me about the speech in particular is <laughs> that it just wholeheartedly adopts a victim mentality that I just have no time for and have no desire to be a part of. Uh, and I think appeals to, appeals to the lowest common denominator for women, which is to say, what can we bitch about? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not too impressed with it and Speaking just for myself, I think it's funny that you have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. Because three hours ago, I just had a conversation with the, the boss of the organization I contract with, I do editing work for, and just asked for a 40% raise. So <laughs> clearly, I don't agree that you can't ask for money because that's crass. And that you can't, you know, you have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. I just, I think it's selling something and I don't, I don't buy it. It rings false. It rings false for me. And if it was true, I would agree that this would be a very miserable world indeed, but I don't agree that we have to accept this as true 100% of the time for 100% of women. A couple things. I mean, I, I don't doubt that there's a couple things that I do appreciate. One is she doesn't specify like who is saying these things or where or who is enforcing these like sort of um, ideals or, or rules, so to speak, uh, that women are supposed to follow, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, I feel like it would be very easy to just kind of universally blame men or just directly blame the patriarchy. But I think that it does at least allow room for nuance of like, all right, you know, where, where are these things coming from? Why do I believe this? Like who, you know, like who, and like Amory mentioned, like it doesn't ring true with her. I'm sure not all of this rings true with every woman. So it's like, if that's the case, like, well, who's, who's lied to this woman, <laughs> you know? And like, how did she come to believe that? Um, and yeah, I guess maybe like, how do we, 
um, if these are common thoughts, like how do we start like protecting our daughters, you know, or, uh, from feeling this way, or how do we, um, protect our wives from feeling this way? Like, I don't doubt I can be a jerk to, to Claire at times. And, uh, yeah, like I would think we all, well, we all want to be better for our wives. So my first reaction. So I did, I like, and it's funny cause I didn't actually see either of them. Like, I feel like I did feel the excitement last summer of the, what was it, Barbenheimer, like the, the double movie feature. Um, but then I didn't end up seeing either of them originally. Um, I have seen Barbies since. I think first reactions to the movie as a whole, and I think first reactions to the speech, um, probably an overall similar sentiment. As far as the movie itself... I would say entertaining enough, but I was a little bit let down after the summer feet, like craze of Barbenheimer. Um, and I think part of it, I mean, kind of like I said, similar to what you guys, or what, like you guys had said, I think that they did, you know, take some things that I'm sure a lot of women have experienced, but I don't think I was aware before I clicked play on just how central I, I guess I assumed, you know, these kind of patriarchy, that that, that type of thing was going to be a part of the movie, and it was going to have, like, some other kind of fun plot line. I didn't realize, like, that was the complete plot line of the movie. They just went right. through the whole thing. <clears throat> um, yeah. All my notes are for Oppenheimer. I thought we were talking about atomic bombs tonight. Uh, <laughs> 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 shoot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I did see Oppenheimer in theaters. I did not see Barbie until months and months later. Um, I thought it, I mean, I think it was a unique storyline and, and script for, you know, Hollywood was mostly like just Marvel movies and, um, sequels. So definitely something different. Um, I think it's narrative of patriarchy and, Feminism and masculinity is like <clears throat> just a, a gnawing thing for the 25 to 38 year old market, which most stuff is produced for. So just they leaned into it and um, tried to capture that. I, I thought it was one or two levels more sophisticated or nuanced than I thought it would be. Um, it certainly wasn't just like a straight up pass for, um, I don't know, a perfectly woke narrative. Like, I think, I think there was a little bit of, of complexity to it. I mean, she chose the patriarchy in the end, so that says something, right? Um, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to press you a little bit on that. Why, why exactly do you say she chose the patriarchy? Well, she could live... Well, first of all, <clears throat> she chose the patriarchal world at the end. She was in the real world. Um, I thought she was going in for an appointment because she had a baby. I've seriously uh, been argued against that that was not the case, and it was just a um, doctor's appointment with the gynecologist. So to all of the listeners out there who challenged me on that, we'll give it to you. Um, 
And so she chose the patriarchy, but also I think we can look at like, what is the definition of patriarchy? I think the, the Eden of Barbie land that was represented at the beginning was also patriarchy. I think that it was patriarchy with women in charge of everything. But so <clears throat> matriarchy. No, 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 no. I think, and I don't have the perfect definitions here, but patriarchy is hierarchical. It is technically when a man is leading it. I think if you were to like, I don't think patriarchy and matriarchy are just like complete. They're not inverses. It's not like matriarchy is when women in charge are of all the same hierarchical things. I think it's, I think matriarchy would be like a much more flat society of like motherly love, no hierarchy. But the problem is you'd have to like represent a lot of motherliness and that's probably hard to do with a progressive feminist agenda. So it wasn't, it wasn't a ma- I mean, they, they not, I don't know if they ever said the word matriarchy, but I think it's interesting. Like they said, patriarchy was this bad thing, but Barbie land was just patriarchy with women in charge, which is probably what modern feminism is. Discuss. Wait, was that a command to discuss? What was the last thing he said? <laughs> Are you telling I'm, I'm disconnecting you from the call. <laughs> well, so run the. Yeah. That's just I don't I don't I don't know if I'm right there. That's just a a, a question is. What is matriarchy versus patriarchy? Was Barbie Land in the opening scene a patriarchy or a matriarchy? Yeah, the final, yeah, basically one of the final scenes where one of the Kens asks Barbie, you know, can I have a place on the Supreme Court, just one spot? And she says, Barbie president, says no but you can have a lower role and what i'm getting at is does she say that because she is a um what what would be the uh, noun for this uh meritocrian she's she's a proponent of meritocracy or because she is proponent of just something like critical theory. We're just going to invert the power structure because men have had it too long. So now we're going to have it a little bit too longer or long, something like that. I don't know necessarily which one it is. I'm led to lean more towards the meritocracy side of it just because women's how women do things specifically, particular to women like is, is celebrated in the film, right? It's highlighted. So that's why I would say it seems to lean more meritocracy. And it sort of like follows your point, Landon, that it's not a very like woke film, if you will, because the woke would just be about balancing power. We're just gonna we're gonna have power in Barbie Land for a while. Okay. To get my first reaction in you know, I think it's interesting how I think all of us have very similar values, but we all 
sort of lean into things differently or just things, certain things stick out to us more because sort of what stuck out to me reading this or listening to the speech. Yeah. Like what could men do better? Like what sin, well, what sins are men committing that would make a woman feel this way? Cause yeah, I mean, and Anne Marie's definitely right where it's like, yeah, you don't want to be a, play the victim role no matter what you know if you're playing the victim because you're not getting promoted at work regardless of whether you're a man or, or a woman or that you know you have this great pedigree in your family history for playing basketball and why is the coach not playing right there's so many places in life where playing the victim is useless but coming from the other end, yeah, I sort of had the inclination of, yeah, what could men be doing better? I think overall on the film, I think it ultimately gets to a good place in the sense that Barbie, to put it very simply, Barbie moves from the superficial of it's just about having parties and looking great to embracing the greater complexity of feeling, uh, which is represented by becoming Barbara rather than Barbie and wearing less makeup and going to a gynecologist, which obviously those things are not like the epitome of being a woman by any means, but they at least can, in a good way, serve as sort of common platform to move the whole audience forward. Like, a saint and say, yeah, those are steps forward. Or you could be this really shallow person or female and recognize that. Yeah, those are steps forward. Anne-Marie, what do you think of that, that response? Or anything so say, far. Say, say the part you want me to respond to specifically, Mike. Would you agree that based upon the arc that I just uh-huh. drew, that Barbie starts and gets to a good place sure. in the sense that, Barbie moves from the superficial of just looking great in parties. You're calling Barbie land superficial. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to embracing a more presumably genuine and complex expression in embrace of her femininity as exemplified by seeing a gynecologist and changing her name to Barbara and recognizing the different ways that you can feel as a woman and it not be wrong necessarily because like early in the film she's feeling all these really dark things and she's like oh my gosh this is terrible I shouldn't feel this way I'm just like rejecting all sense of identity so the question I'm asking is like insofar as I've expressed it does that seem like a good common platform of a a good arc for the film? Like, are you convinced that that, yeah, that <laughs> seems like a good start finish? For... <laughs> I don't know why I'm trying to sell you necessarily. <laughs> That's just how we ended up here. This is podcast. Barbie, Barbie told you to say that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I saw I some I saw some clips from the movie. I did watch them earlier this week, and so I saw the scene where she's doing her. This, they're doing the choreographed dance, and then she's like, "Do you ever think about dying or something like that?" And everybody just kind of freaks out and stops, and then she 
kind of covers it up as a faux pas and they move on. Um, I do agree. I think somebody wrote in one of the notes, like that they at least are making a statement about what things are specifically female. Um, like the visit to the gynecologist. I think that is necessary uh, and unavoidable. If you're going to say like, this is her change as a character and she's becoming a real woman instead of just a sort of 2D version. But I do think it also doesn't work that well with the feminist playbook that says a woman is whatever you say a woman is. And then they end up kind of following this very stereotypical, but I think true um, experience. I don't know. Let's just let's just go with that first question. What are the truths of the world that the speech sort of uh, seems to affirm? When I say truths in quotes, I mean like legitimate Christian truths here. I've got something that sticks out and it's fairly quick and um, yeah, the fact that she leads off with. It's impossible, you woman. You're so beautiful, so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Well, that did sound a little bit patronizing because it's like, Gloria, you just met Barbie. <laughs> like, come on. How connected are you to her? <laughs> but we'll just give her the benefit of the doubt. The, it actually reminds me from a dialogue from the movie The Help. Oh, okay. You guys remember yeah. that one? And I just, I remember, because remember, like, the black maid ended up, you know, basically being a better mom to the white daughter she cared for, right, than the white mom did. And that line that I just read is something very similar to something that I remember the maid telling this daughter. And it also reminds me of, um, not Wild at Heart, but the one written by Stacey Eldridge. Oh, but the whole ethos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, great book. And it also re- connects really well with, I think, uh, I don't know if you guys read that National Catholic Register article mm-hmm. I linked to, which yeah. gave a very positive comments here on the film and it highlighted this particular point that centralizing the distinctly distinct feminine dignity of every woman um and i'm just thinking like i can't speak to that like well that's what a woman needs to hear i mean it sounds right and you can only just sort of observe and talk and hear things but i'm thinking of like something that john eldridge would write in his book that sort of corollaries that for men but being told that you know you are good and you are made for adventure and things like just these very fundamental things that seem simple but they're like they're that initiation into embracing your masculinity or your femininity and such this cornerstone thing but how many of us actually ever hear those things? So that stuck out to me as a truth of the speech that was like really good and solid. Yeah. I would say two things jumped out to me. Um, the first, I mean, just this idea that it is, and again, both of these things I have lots of like thoughts on to, we could go from, but to keep it concise and see where, where it, what lands. Um, first point 
I do think being a woman is very hard. Um, and right. We have tons of different things we could take from that, but I mean, that's a li- like life is hard and like life is hard, I guess I'll put it that way. Um, and that's something that, you know, Gloria really experienced living in the real world. And Barbie had not experienced living in this, you know, fictitious world. Um, and the second point, and I guess similar, I think similar vein of what Mike had said was that it does attempt to really hit the value of a woman. Uh, you know, uh, you like there is a, a there is an inherent, just very unbelievable, you know, just dignity of being a woman. And I do think that the the speech is trying to hit at that, if that makes sense. Um, you know, all of those things that she says, I feel like. Like, those are kind of the superficial nuggets on top. You know, you're beautiful, you're smart, but, like, they're trying to hit at something, I think, a little more core core than that. So I will um, – and I think there's lots of thoughts about, you know, why the why she feels the way she does and what the proper response would be. But those are two things that I, I think would I would say jumped out. On this topic of that you're beautiful, you sort of the, – that – distinctly affirmation of your Christian femininity or masculinity is the corollary semi-personal question Amory but like do you recall ever hearing something like that from someone who mattered and what effect did that have on you Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I don't actually think I would say it was just one particular thing I think it was a number of things probably over growing up years, but I can tell you actually very specifically in the last couple of years, what's made a huge difference. Um, so in the summer of 2020, when everything was shut down and there were all these virtual conferences, there was a, a Catholic one, but one of the talks was how to create maximum impact when you walk in the room. <laughs> I was just like, what? What is this? So I clicked on it. So I was like, what is this doing as part of a Catholic conference? But it was this woman. Her name's January Donovan. She founded the, the woman's school. Now there's a man's school. And her whole shtick was women have not been taught um, how to manage their minds and how to gain the skills that they need to be successful in life, both professionally, at home, personally, managing their emotions. And so... I mean, at the risk of sounding like an advertisement for this this program, which I haven't taken, full disclosure, um, she has like a whole class, you can take a master class, but I've really bought into what she says as far as like that women need mindset training and they need to be trained in skills, um, all kinds of skills, both to be, you know, a woman as a, a single woman, a mom, a wife. And that really resonated with me, this idea that women have impact, um, can have huge impact on the world for good. And their emphasis is rebuilding culture one woman's worth at a time. Um, So I would agree that these are messages that we receive. You have to be thin, but not too thin. Um, There's a woman I I have also read, her name is Kendra Adachi, and her book is The Lazy Genius. And she talks about how we need to avoid both the perfectionism of everything in the world has to be important to me as a woman, especially as a wife and a mom, or I'm just like hot mess express motherhood. where like F it all. And I don't care. And I always look like I'm a disaster. And um, her point is be a genius about the things that matter to you and lazy about the things that don't. And I've just found a lot of um, 
truth in that and in pursuing that because I can, I can rest more um, in that idea of identifying what my priorities are as a woman um, and operating out of those every day, learning to do better each day, hopefully. Um, but that is a hopeful message, I would say, from kind of both Kendra Adachi, but especially from this January Donovan lady. And, and since then, other women like Lisa Canning, she's the moniker. Her moniker is the Possibility Mom. Um, those are two that come immediately to mind. Metanoia Catholic Academy talks all about leaning into your gifts and especially your temperament. Um, but all of those things, I would say, have really given me a sense of the beauty of womanhood that's built on sort of this theological or philosophical underpinning that I got from John Paul II's 1995 letter to women, which I first encountered in high school. And then I read his encyclical Mulieris Dignitatum um, on the vocation and dignity of women. And both of those, I would say, just really emphasize the beauty of the feminine heart and motherhood and distinguish between physical and spiritual motherhood and the necessity of both. Um, but I would, I would say that as a woman trying to live and operate in this world to the best of my ability for the different roles that I'm in, I would say that the training, um, that's available through this like mindset and skill set approach that really puts flesh on the mm-hmm. philosophy and the theology behind, yes, women have an absolutely beautiful and necessary gift to offer the world, um, Edith Stein talked about that too, that women, you know, women nurture, like hold the world, um, within their embrace. So it's a little bit rambly, but that's, um, I would say, yeah, started in high school, but got more and more and more concrete in the last couple of years. Well, I was, I was just going to say it's, uh, I guess one thing that stuck out to me, Anne-Marie, with your description of that is how you, you talked about putting like flesh on the bones, you know, and there's, you're positing something and something is like blossoming and growing out of that. Um, whereas I feel like this speech be, just becomes like tearing down all the things and doesn't really posit anything else in its place. You know, there's certain, like, yeah, if, if someone truly believed and lived out the way this speech, like the content of this speech, like, yeah, that would be, that would be terrible. But you know, like wh- where is that coming from? You know, like, I don't, like that's not coming from a good place. <laughs> no, you know? no, and I do see this. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I do see this. I do see these attitudes and I do see an acceptance of them. Um, but something Metanoia Catholic really emphasizes is like taking all thoughts captive for Christ, right? And just mm-hmm. putting, getting, figuring out what our beliefs actually are and then putting them essentially on trial and saying like, is this true 100% of the time? Yeah. Is it 100% true 100% of the time? Um, and even if it is true, does believing this serve me? Does believing this serve me, even if it is true? Um, So all those things I would say have been very helpful to to move away from a mindset that's like, yeah, this is the way it is and it can never change to, no, I can grow because people can all grow. So to kind of help flesh out what Anne-Marie's saying and respond to what Matt said, well, there's nothing to like replace this tearing down of structures theoretical structures we will but they're what um barbie or gloria says the the magic trick if you will to fix all this is to give voice to the cognitive dissonance required to be a woman under the patriarchy you rob it of its power that's what you do matt (laughs) that's what you replace it with which is really really good writing but 
but it but it obviously sounds because you know from there the characters just run around in their pink van and like say this magic formula over the barbies and they're like oh there you go look i'm fixed which is actually sort of chauvinist that you just tell them oh this is what they're mansplaining to other barbies <laughs> but rather you know it's exactly what you and matt are saying that you know the path to to any virtue or holiness is messy and has to have flesh on it and is raw it's not just this simple little collection of fancy words that even though if they might be true they just yeah it's it's work it's it's blood on the cross right is the the ultimate example and i would say too there's a part in the speech several different points where and you put a note on this on the in the document landon about like this seems to be women complaining about other women or women talking about other women's attitudes um and only, then there's reference only to, like, if you're you supposed agree. to be part of this if you, if you disagree, it wasn't me. Ah, uh, yes, that's garbage. <laughs> I do agree, but even if I didn't, own it. Own it. I don't have to agree with it for it to be true. Uh, or me agreeing with it doesn't make it true. Uh, but I, I do agree that there is the sense of the sisterhood, especially within feminism, right? And so you're not supposed to ask questions about things like how it ennobles us or empowers us to kill our children, for instance. Um but I would definitely agree that we don't just need to tear each other down, but we do need authentic mentorship. And that's a big component of, you know, the women's school and the different women figures that I follow right now is this idea that like women need to teach other women how to be women. And I've heard that the same thing for men, like men need men to teach them, like boys need men to teach them how to be men. So I would say the exact opposite of this, like, we're the sisterhood and we have to stick together, but we're also nasty, mean, and queen bee and bitchy to each other. Like, no, actually, the opposite of that is where real healing and growth comes from. When you find a woman who's willing to say, here's how you do these things. And, and like, personally, in our own lives, right, I am collecting or amassing a tribe of grandmas locally. Like, I am up to four local women who are essentially serving as <laughs> grandchildren or grandmothers to my children. Um and I'm learning things from these women, like how to relate to my own children in a way that is less uh, perfectionistic and demands less of them. Um, but then I'm also learning to lean on the skills they have that I don't have, um, like a desire for crafty behavior. I'm not a crafty person. I don't love crafts. But I love that I have access to these women who are willing to pour into my kids in this way. I liked I liked that you brought up the mentor thing because I what I was kind of thinking kind of as we've been talking the last couple of minutes and I feel like it kind of ties in a couple of our outline questions but um, in particular just to keep everyone to get like on page the um, one about a father taking your daughter on a first date as well as um, there's another one in there but either way so I was listening to a podcast actually today. Um, about how the importance of a father's life for a daughter and like just that idea how to be a good father to a daughter. And something that he said that kind of stuck out to me, which I feel like fits with what Amory just said, was that women will, daughters will learn to be a woman from their mother. They'll, they'll learn how to be a woman from their mother, but they'll learn who they are from their father. And that kind of stuck out to me. And I feel like kind of the, you know, okay, so... I do think that a lot of these things, I think we would all agree, like women hear these things. So in some ways, they're going to maybe believe, maybe some of them more than others, but to a certain extent, it's going to seep in. And I think we'd all agree that that's probably bad. 
and yeah, we could talk forever about, you know, where did they hear him from, but they hear him. So, um, so I think having that identity to fall back upon would help them see through it. And then where as a poet, and then having some sort of response to, okay, I, I know that that's not true because of, you know, what I believe about myself, but then what am I supposed to do? So I feel like what the movie's making fun of, or not making, or not, that's not, what the movie makes a joke of is kind of the, you know, men are always in charge, women do what they say, like that whole thing. But then it seems like the response of Barbie Land is, well, let's just make women more like men then. So particularly with the career orientation, like that's something else that jumped out to me from the movie was there was a very big emphasis in Barbie Land on the careers. We have a woman president. We have women doctors. We have a women Supreme Court justice. You know, like that was the emphasis. And it kind of made like light and funny of it that then, you know, it showed the pregnant Barbie and well, we discontinued her immediately. Um, So like, it's like they recognize, there's a recognition of, okay, women hear this, they believe it. There's some truth to that. It's bad. But the response can't be just be like, let's make women exactly like the men that were attacking here. Um, and I think that, so having that kind of, like you said, that mentorship, that, um, a, a, a good positive outlet to say like, okay, well, what should we strive to be like? That would be the crux of Carrie Gress's argument against feminism, first wave, second wave, or even now, right? Is this idea that feminism answered the question, uh, or asked the wrong question. How do we make women more like men rather than how do we make women more like women what does it mean to be a woman which is how we've ended up right with feminism that now embraces anybody being a woman that wants to be a woman because it means nothing so um yeah but i think i think mentorship and focusing on on uh designing the life that we want um and and dreaming right dreaming either if we're married with our husbands about what we would like our life to look like or if we're on our own like dreaming about what the future could be like and asking god to show us his dream for us. I think all those things lead us away from a world that's kind of navel gazing and then trapped in victimhood. Cause I would say that women who speak in the way this speech is going, um, are trapped. Uh, and I don't think that's a, it's not a good place to be. Well, before, before we get too close to the end, what did you guys think? I mean, Hey, I'm a guy. what did you guys think of the Kens? We haven't even talked about Ken. I mean, Oh yeah. <clears throat> good, good thinking. I, um, <laughs> My contemplation of this resolves like this is a film about Barbie and when you try to analyze the Ken stuff too much it's just it's just not about Ken's or males or masculinity and if you try to analyze it too much it's uh, it's more about Barbie I think. I could go deeper, but I'll let everybody else talk first. So no one's talking. So what? If, <laughs> I was gonna say, what if? Because I know Anne Marie has a, a nine thirty time. What do we want to go to the final bell now? And do because I, I I imagine well, yeah, Emery's not going to have as much to say about the Ken since she didn't watch fair. the movie. That's fair. So I, I imagine, yeah, I would just say to make the most of Anne Marie's time with us. Um, and then yeah. we'll all take our Final shirts off. Okay, and talk good. About Ken. Um, 
<laughs> Open the windows too, Ross. <laughs> All right. Let's final bell. Yes. Final bell. Ding, 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 ding. All your strength. All your power. All your love. What round is it? 15. One more round. There's no stopping this now. This is our round. Don't stop it now. We're starting. We don't stop. All your strength. All your power. All your love. Everything you've got. This is your whole life. Do it now. And we're back for the final bell. We've been swapping punches like Adrian and Rocky on that beach in Rocky 3. Then like at the top of those stairs when he told her he was leaving her to go put his life on the line in Soviet Union. Like Anne Marie's going to be delivering the final bell question here. Anne Marie, what's, uh, what's on the docket? So I want to hear from you guys. What qualities, actions, words, questions from women call you on would you say to be your your best self the best version of yourself matthew kelly would say on it so i I think it's vulnerability when claire is vulnerable and says like matt i need you to do like and, and it's there's like a different tone i feel like uh like a husband only gets to see you know where there's this this shift where it's like matt i need this of you like we need like we need to do something. We need to get this thing done, and and it's. I, I think the best way to describe it is there's a certain vulnerability there, that um, and like honesty and courage in that. Um, that's like, all right, it's go time. I'm gonna like. This is this is what I need to do to love my wife, and this is what she needs, and like, nothing's gonna get in my way, you know. Um, yeah, I, it, and it's a very subtle shift. I don't know if, if there's a better way to describe it, but there's a certain vulnerability that, like, when Claire shows that, um, like, whether it's, like, a moment of distress or a moment of excitement and fun, like, there's just, yeah, there's just some, like, kind of subtle shift where she, like, there's this extra little vulnerable thing where she just throws something out there, and I'm like, all right. I'm chasing that down and whether it's the dishes or taking her on a date or, you know, um, yeah, just playing along with some fun thing we're doing with the kids. Like, yeah, I, I think that's kind of, yeah, that's what I noticed in Claire. So I've been married to Julie for like eight years, eight years now is it's a seeming just not ability, but just choice to recognize the good in the person you see. And not like in like a fluffy, superficial way. Not in the, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're funny. But like the more core truth, like you are good. If that makes sense. Um, and I think that from a man's perspective, and especially, you know, when we got married, a younger man, like I think I had an air towards competition. So like I would always view people competitively. Um, not necessarily like int- uh, intentionally, but like I had, you know, kind of that whole like Stephen Covey, like you tear people down to build yourself up type thing, um, which I think sometimes makes it harder to really see that, you know, foundational truth that the person you're looking at is is good and has worth and value. Um, so I think that I've matured a little bit in how I just view other people from that, which I feel like that fits well because, like, just thinking about, I feel like the women you probably learn the most from are probably your wife and your mom, 
which I think like I kind of use that example as something I feel like I've learned from watching Julie, but like then that like it it fits well with like you know the uh no one's ever going to love you more than your mom. Like I've heard that saying before. Um and I think that kind of fits with like this woman's ability to see 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 the good like foundational good in in people. Uh Landon Free married two and a half years. Um nice to meet everyone. Um <laughs> The word I heard from the Matt said was like the 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 moment or the time, whether it was verbalized or communicated non-verbally, where you're like needed in it, like <clears throat> triggers you to step up and provide, do, help, assist, make a decision. I think that that resonates uh, with me. Sometimes it's not yeah explicitly expressed but you're just like oh i am the husband father um man of the house and like this is a role that i need to fulfill and do whether that is the dishes or like the child's you know crying at 2 a.m um and just having somewhat of an extra encouragement or like you could really help me here or take this burden off me it's like yeah i can do that so easily um i think is when yeah i feel most encouraged yeah it feels pretty obvious to me uh confidence and i was sort of thinking through while y'all were talking about like why why does that stick out to me and i it feels pretty obvious or intuitive that the reason is this because if I think that a woman is confident then you know in the context of engaging with me then they're also going to have confidence and fortitude moving into these other challenging circumstances which one you know unavoidably encounters in life it's, this is going to sound silly, but it makes me want to like hold hand. Like I'm a big hand holder. Whenever I'm dating someone, I like holding hands. And that that sense of confidence, it just makes me want to be intimate in that way. Like I see I've seen them as my equal. That's not exactly the right words for it, but it's just see there's someone who sees the same things I'm looking at. They are maybe a little bit scared of the same things I am, but they're also have a sense of the ability to move forward by similar things. And I, yeah, that's a striking, yeah, striking thing. It's a little weird for me to answer what I do that motivates my husband, maybe since he's not here to answer that himself. But it's a good perspective. I, Lean into it. But I think, I think he would say, how I try to motivate my husband is with like to be his best self is with a sense of teamwork. We we've been having this conversation about wanting to move in the next year and a half. And so we've been talking about like me earning more with the part-time work that I'm doing and talking to him about asking for a raise as well. And uh, I, I sort of had this moment of kind of like reverential, like a reverence towards the conversation we were having when he said something actually that was, essentially told me he was taking what I said super seriously. And when I'm talking about like, okay, let's 
let's talk about how we can both earn more money so we can have this money to move into this new house that we think would be good for a growing family, da, 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 da. I'm kind of spitballing a little bit, but I realized when he was telling me from what he was telling me that he was taking what I said super seriously. Like, this is important. We need to do this. And I, I'm taking ownership over this. Um, so I, it, it reminded me to approach our conversations believing that he takes me seriously and, um, and takes my dreams seriously and the things that are important to me that he wants to bring them to life as much as he can. And I have evidence of that, of him wanting to bring my dreams to life. Um, so making sure that I am treating him like a grown-up and that if I tell him something's really important to me, I'm not going to say it 12 more times. Like I might say it once or twice to make sure that he understands like, babe, this is really important to me. But then because we're grownups and I respect him and his ability to, to put himself out there and to protect, provide and defend us. Um, yeah, I really try not to nag at him or to be his mom because he actually doesn't need another mom. He needs a wife. And so I'm trying to encourage him to be his best self by being the wife that he needs as opposed to a second mother for him. Whew. Whew. Um, yeah, I really like that idea of being reverential towards certain conversations. Did you come up with that yourself? Oh, I'm sure. Everything that comes out of my language? mouth I've read from someone else or heard from someone else. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And I think a really yeah, central idea to like any relationship, obviously, but cer- certainly marriage even more so. Whew. Well, it's 9.32. I can't imagine the bill for overtime Anne Marie's going to charge. It's going to be 40% more than she charged last time, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she knows that ass. <laughs> oh, well, these days, Anne Marie, we have a little sign-off. It goes something like this. Thanks for drinking. <laughs> and okay. thinking. And thinking. With us. Hey, let's cue the music, and y'all have a good night. Thanks for being here. That was great. Dead ends come and go Look toward the horizon Up ahead you'll find A peace of mind Relief from the trying I had burned a bridge Wrecked in a ditch Had to ask forgiveness Dead ends come and go Look toward the horizon Oh, there are stories to tell The times we grew and the times we fell Oh, I've been afraid some days But the road will lead us to a better place The road will lead us to a better place Now the men get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bust a, get, let me get a beer on, here. Let me, let me get a beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me get some more. Barbie. Beer. All right. More whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>
Landon was right. There was a rapture. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. I like it. Yeah, that was great. I'm going to get the usual Anne-Marie boost in listenership. Mm -hmm. So I had two thoughts if you guys wanted to talk about either of these. And then, Mike, I want you to get us to the outline. I thought that Ken was going to be an interesting talk. So now I'm, after Landon's response, though, do you feel like Ken was, like, showing the buffoon man, like Homer Simpson? Or did they make him, was it, like, did they intentionally make them so, like, meaningless? Was their meaninglessness intentional, <clears throat> like, or was it, Was like, it, like, making like fun like of men, or did they written, do it, you know? in, like, so much in an intentional way that, like, we aren't even going to, like, it's clearly not real. Like, we don't want men even in them. My other question would be, I feel like one thing we could have dived into a little bit more, just to maybe give some credence to other, like, I think we are a little bit unique in maybe that, like, we all have a pretty clear understanding of what a woman should be or could be, and, like, Anne-Marie is obviously very confident in her femininity. So, like, what do you tell the girl that, like, yeah, she buys maybe some of what we're saying, but, like, her whole life has she's been told, you know, you can get a job. You don't have to do, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, probably the the average American woman that hasn't had, kind of like, kind of like the Mike's race thing a little bit. Like, she doesn't have this great, woman mentor or for grandma she can look like that doesn't have that available to her so like what would you tell her but you know at the same time it's like does is the barbie movie good for her or some other movie that genuinely illustrates a great expression of femininity like like little women that Greta Gerwig also made like I think that's a fantastic movie I love that movie it feels, I mean, Carrie Gress can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like a genuine, yeah, path for a woman to embrace her femininity. I mean, there might be a couple sort of goofy, I'd be interested actually in a couple of lines if they're actually in the book. But So I'm sort of like answering my own questions. <laughs> like, the, this short circuit like we're getting that is like, well, not everyone has a role model, so we're just gonna come up with a whole different thing, you know, anti-racism or subvert, you know, or the patriarchy, as they like to say. But at the same time, does it really have any enduring value? I mean, no. I think we'd all say, like both metaphysically and literally, in the short term. I think the feminist critique of media, circa call it 2010 before is like women are often one dimensional sex figures in plots. And so this was a counter act to that in men are one dimensional. Ken is a one dimensional figure. And sure that that's all it is. It's just like, it's that deep. Um, just to prove a point, like, there aren't any male characters in Ken that, like, any women would want to date or be with. Um, and <clears throat> perhaps, or, like, they are characterizations of projections of 
the worst feelings women have about men. Like, oh, they're buffoons. They're, like, overly interested in cowboys and trucks. Who cares about that? Like, um, as in the one-dimensional instance of women, like, men only think women are sex objects and whatever. So it's just, it's just counterbalancing, like, the most over-grandizing version of the opposite. And... To try to analyze Ken's song or Ken's actions anymore is like, doesn't matter. Like, they're just, it's a character. Don't worry about it. Um, it's a women's movie. Sure. Yeah, someone's got to be like this, the the butt of the joke. And in this case, it happens to be Ken. As opposed to like, yeah, making a point about. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that is, I, I could certainly buy that. Um I do think it is interesting that that a, at least a number of um like the reviews and you know did comment on Ken um quite a bit <laughs> you know but I, like, I think that who, is an interesting Do you know a real uh, person who's Ken? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean I could yeah, I mean I could see people who are in that general like not to that extreme but obviously, you know, in fairness, the point of the movie is to exaggerate. Sure. Yeah, every know, exaggeration is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Or make a point, right? What what I what I wanted to run with, and I think Matt had put this in the notes, and I identified or it seemed very true and right, um, or or accurate, I should say, that's on this Ken point, um, is from that Los Angeles Times article by uh, Gene Wu. Guerrero, oh, gosh, it's an abomination to my family's ancestry pronouncing that. Um, but I'll read it. Um, the film is a rare product of mainstream culture that invites men to reimagine masculinity for their own sake. It acknowledges the identity crisis and loss of hope, economic promise, and life purpose among American men. These struggles are often ignored by progressives, but conveniently uh, exploited by right-wing man-fluencers from Andrew Tate to Josh Hawley. Jumping ahead a few lines, um, Ken turns to patriarchal expression and dominance uh, because he does not receive the sense of attractiveness, worth, and general self-value he wants from Barbie's gaze and attention. Um, let's see, just sort of observing how he changes throughout the film is what they're getting at here. Uh, in the second case, which concerns the relationship to shame or, or existential solitude and the conversion to sex as soothing, when Barbie approaches Ken in the third act of the film for consolation, he interprets it as a sexual advance and tries to kiss her. Um... And in this way, shame can quickly morph into resentment and anger. Here we see loneliness and existential, existential angst being converted into a sexual plea for sex to solve and resolve those bad, these bad feelings. And the reason that all stuck out to me quite a bit, you know, being the uh, representative single speech guy, you know, reading I <laughs> some somewhat recently I got rid of um, Bumble because it's such a weight like it's there's nothing that happens on there no one is seriously seriously interested in going on dates but one of the things that I saw way more than zero times 
was something in like the about me for the female to the effect of please just be nice or please just be kind or something like that and then and what it seems to express which seems to be in line with what this is observing is a sense of women owing something to men in the minds of like your ken right and i think we can and i think that sort of the core of uh, one of the cores of the film at least in ken's character that is really really dark right the idea that a man is owed something and he is going to get it uh a lot of the time sexually and that that like how do you deal with that like that's a really really heavy thing and i think that there is i think andrew tate you know in fairness i haven't I'm just aware of Josh Hawley's mystique. I'm more aware of like Andrew Tate of his sort of chauvinism that um, sort of seems to capture that ethos and, and appeals and appeals to certain men. So that sort of the answer to the point here is I feel like there is a little more to this one dimensionality of Ken here. I feel like Greta Gerwig was trying to present some something there with Ken. Like, how do you deal with the fact that men feel like they're owed something, especially sexually? It was a good case. Yeah, and that's it where... It was a good case. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Go. I don't... And, that, and that's where, like, um, I know several people read various aspects of the movie as a satire, Um, Which it is a comedy. It is kind of hard to like take or you have to be careful with any sort of comedy in terms of what you take as they're presenting this as a solution or as the truth versus they're presenting this as something that happens that's kind of mock or joke worthy, you know. Um, So, yeah, I I think there's a layer of incredulity which with you have to take all of this stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess. I don't know if I have anything in spe- in particular about like the sexual aspect of it. Um, that much I'd probably have to think more about. Um, but I think there is something, um, I mean, Ken in like the song thing, like does ask for like, you know, commands respect and, you know, and it's only when he sees the, re- you know, respect in whatever form he gets it in like the, the real world that he like kind of, that's when that pivot takes place and, you know, there's the desire to change Barbie land and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I guess like at the same time, I, I, I think that the Gene uh, Guerrero uh, commentary is valid. Like we do need to think about like if, if the solution, if, you know, I like a, a common feminist mantra is the future is feminine, you know, uh, or the future is female or whatever. Um, it's like, well, if that's the case, then what, like, what are men doing? You know, in the meantime, you know, the less men have to do, the worse things usually get. You know, that's when like gangs happen. That's that's where terrorists recruit from. You know, that's where like all of the bad things that are like universally unbelievably bad. Um, they, they usually come from idle men. So, yeah, like is there are they owed something sexually or, you know, respect wise? Like, no, like you should have to earn that. 
Um, and certainly Ken's kind of just a goofy buffoon, you know, which again, like I think Landon says, maybe you need to be cautious about taking that too seriously. But um, I guess like if you do think of more like real world situations, like, uh, you know, perhaps there, maybe there is a good aspect of this movie in that it's calling that out. Like, all right, what are, what are we going to do? Like we do need to have, we can't just have Barbie land 2.0, you know, cause that didn't work out, you know? Um, that ended up being just as oppressive as the the patriarchy. I'm thinking first rise and fall of Mars Hills reference of season four. I downloaded that, I'm Mike. Thinking... I, I haven't listened to it yet, but I did download it, so it's it's on. Yeah, I'm thinking of <clears throat> um, Pastor Mark Driscoll's. He was he was infamous for being, and ironically, being both chauvinist at times um but at the same time also being very protective of women i think in very genuine ways like there's different anecdotes they share in the podcast of buying groceries for sort of single moms who are struggling in his um church um and just if he heard that there was a guy in his church who was mistreating his girlfriend in some abusive way you know probably not physically but some kind of abusive way like he would be violent not physically violent but you know verbally violent towards them and yeah i don't know i don't want to ramble but i'm just sort of like expressing it it's like that's certainly not something we should do like you don't want to be yeah like you don't i the ideal certainly isn't to be the mark driscoll towards ken's you know to like slam them up against the wall i i i don't think i agree with that but keep going okay okay here we go i think mark driscoll is the perfect solution for ken things are getting hot and breeze off the call landon is (laughs) like he he serves a purpose I am a little bit too. I just right. pictured what would Andy Meister yeah, do no, to me if honestly, I acted like Ken? Yeah. Ugh. It wouldn't be pretty. Like, does does Mark need to be a pastor for a twenty thousand person church in a whole city of families or whatever? No. Does he need to be a pastor for Ken's of the world? Yes. <laughs> like, should he be the men's minister in a church and his his sole goal is like you're the guy for all the kens that's his perfect role should he like pastor everybody and be the head of the in the face of a church probably not i mean i think you definitely need to tear down the kens you need to confront the kens you can't just let the kens keep kenning um they beach but, Matt, but they I, beach but i think <laughs> <laughs> that's right but I think, um, I mean, then, uh, but on the back end, there needs to be an, an on-ramp. And I think for men in particular, that comes in the form of like a mission. You know, if you think of like, if, if men, if like one of the sins of men is like aggression, right? Which universally men are more aggressive. Um, all right. Like if they have a mission, you're like all the aggressive guys, your mission is to beat up the bad guys. 
Like, all right, now there's there's maybe some good coming from that, you know. Um, obviously, yeah, need to be judicious with how you discern a bad guy and not. But anyhow, uh, or like another thing, you know, like men ignore their emotions, right? Like, all right, that's maybe not good in certain social circumstances, but there can be something to that in like a stoic leadership or like in a foxhole. You don't want to show your emotions that you're scared because that's not good for anyone. There are like good outlets. So like maybe to Mike's crowd, I don't know if this is what you're going for. Like, I think you do need to tear down and confront the Kens, but you need the, the like the opposite end of that is like, all right, what's the outlet? Like where, where are you going to channel this, this masculine energy, even if it is, um, well, yeah, I mean, it's misdirected. It's directed somewhere and it's not good, you know? So like, where, where does it go from there? I think yeah, actually your point was accurate, Landon, where you can't, you can't, pastor 20,000 people that way with that really harsh harsh we could say um um past pastoralism for men right because they're not all gonna get it you know but for a small group or even the most atomized version like imagine that your daughter's fiance like does something that you legitimately feel is sort of in the direction of abusive. I'm not saying you go like physically abuse that guy, but I think using really strong language. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate Christian response. So just to draw that, it's like, okay, for a small group of guys you're close to who are being a little Kenny. They need a Snickers. <clears throat> Snickers? It's a commercial. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I okay. get you going. It's a stretch. But there are, there are, it, it begs a question of a lack of clear definitions of masculinity hmm. that are championed or promoted or permissible in a progressive world, which is perhaps the entire point of this whole podcast. Um, and yeah, that every, I think, I think there is a struggle there that Greta Gerwig tried to weave in a little bit. I think it was mostly a projection, but um, a little bit of a what does it what does it mean to be a man? They did answer like, "What is a woman? A woman is stereotypical Barbie." I commend them for leaning into that, um, which is is brave in twenty twenty three. Blonde woman and such. Well, what? no, I, I don't feel like that's where they ended up, but that's, we won't dwell on that, but go on. Have you guys ever encountered, so like we kind of talked about with her speech, like where do women hear this from? Because it sounds like they probably hear it from other women, right? A lot of her critiques of, yeah, the America's speech, their Gloria speech. So to bring it into like masculinity, Right. Like what we like to talk about is, you know, that more traditional masculinity is, you know, frowned upon or, you know, that blah, blah, blah. There's not a clear the culture has not presented a clear masculinity because they associate everything as toxic, blah, blah, blah. 
have you ever like encountered that personally? You mean like someone calling right? So you like toxic we, I think or, we would all agree like some more traditional masculine qualities, <laughs> chivalry. Like we, if we all started spitballing, we'd say, "Oh yeah, culture hates that." We get told, we get called, you know, uh, it, we gets equated with toxic masculinity. Sure. Like trying to thinking women weren't good enough, blah blah. It's like we we all say that in a way similar to like Gloria's speech. I think women all feel the. I have to be thin, but I have to be per- like blah blah, and like one of our critiques was, well, where is she hearing that from? You know, outside of this vague, air quotes culture. You know, sure. So like to throw the lens back on ourselves, sure. like have you guys, yeah, where are we hearing that from? It's just vague air quotes culture. <laughs> just what I'm using. I don't know. And maybe it's not a good point. Like, I don't feel yeah. like, I feel like I try to live out a lot of traditional masculine ideals. And I would say that they're frowned upon in today's world, but I can't really ever think of an instance where they were challenged, like, directly. Well, I mean, I've got two two quick thoughts. One, and I made this point in the notes. I mean, I think that is the problem with social media is that it gives life to this interior life that everyone has Mm -hmm. had since the beginning of time and while there's some aspects of the interior life like it's good we should have been talking about those things but it's really scary you know talking about you know depression or mental illness or something Mm -hmm. like that i mean those two things are probably over talked about now, but, but most of those things like, yeah, there was a reason we didn't talk about them because it was a waste of time and it was a distraction and blah, blah, you know, from like the two extremes I put in notes, you know, I'll, I'll get in my Trump soapbox again. It's like, I just don't think that Trump could have been elected in 2016 just because, he leveraged hate. I mean, okay, there's certain policy things you can say, okay, whatever. But he certainly leveraged hate to his advantage. But in the other way, is like the ASMR. You guys know ASMR when I reference that? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the water whisper videos. It's called auto sensory meridian response. And a lot of people, I get it. It's you get it. Um, a lot of people get it watching Bob Ross, the painter. And it's like when people uh, talk really quietly and maybe they touch very small things delicately and everything's really zoomed that you get like this weird, it's like a <laughs> chemical thing in your brain. Um, but anyway, now like that's a huge thing and it's sort of gross. People will watch these videos for hours on it. Like it's porn essentially. Like it's not a sexual response, but it's a very just pure chemical response. The point being that social media gives life to a lot of things that go on inside of us that feel really significant in your head And then they feel a thousand times more significant when everyone else is talking about them, regardless of whether or not they're actually significant. Sure. 
So those are the people that are saying it. Maybe this isn't like toxic masculinity per se, but I know Claire did feel um, some pressure just for, just from like some friends and some people that she would talk to. And she said she was staying home with the kids. She wasn't going to go back to work. Um, like I know there were, yeah, I know that there was some sense of like pressure she got where she was like letting people down or whatever. Um, or that people didn't respect that decision of hers. Um, which that's kind of more traditional value, whatever. Just because people don't directly confront you on it doesn't mean they're not like talking behind your back too, you know, just knowing how I, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to confront someone directly and, you know, and, and it's not out of, um, it's not even out of like fear necessarily. It's just out of like, oh yeah, that's just not a prudent, kind way to interact with things is to like when you hear someone like a coworker say something to be like, I disagree. You're wrong because of this. You know what I mean? Like, um, but just knowing how, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is, um, there is something to, uh, I guess just knowing how other people live and think and like even just like overhearing talk in the office about, I don't know. I, I think there might be something to that. Like you, you, you might feel victimhood, even if it's not like directly like, oh yeah, you're a toxically masculine person, you know, because of this. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think you, it's, it is a legitimate phenomena to like take in enough cultural milieu, but not be in a place to like directly confront it or have someone directly confront you. And still understand that, like, oh, yeah, most people don't think like me or like um, and to have some sense of like guardedness about being different. But, yeah, I mean, I think the point is taken, though, that like, yeah, like no one's ever called me a toxically masculine person to my face. How much was Gloria's husband to blame for her feminine angst? I don't remember that part of the subplot. Did they ever show her husband? Well, that's sort of the point. Um, he, you basically saw him in two scenes. He was learning Spanish on an app um, on his couch while his wife and daughter were out in the world. And then you saw him in the last scene dropping uh, Barbie off, Barbara, off for her uh, gynecologist. Why would he drop trying to learn Spanish? Barbara off. Well, he was with he was with America and uh, her daughter. So, and what's I put this in the fun facts? I learned this listening to the interview with Greta Gerwig. So that was America's husband, actually. Uh, he's a filmmaker and actor. And when and Greta Gerwig had the idea for him. Oh, he's gonna be like an absent husband, just disconnected on his. Uh, Phone learning Spanish, and apparently Greta Gerwig called America about this role she wanted her to play, and was talking about the husband. And she was like, "That's what he's doing right now." He was literally on the couch learning Spanish on this app because it sounds like you know I'll I'll come off a little harsh here. Gloria seems to care more about uh what the world thinks than uh what her what her husband has to yeah, say. Yeah, it kind of seems like I don't I mean there's nothing was was learning Spanish on an app presented as a harmful manner that seems innocent to me. 
Yeah, no, it's supposed to be more benign. Although he was accused of cultural appropriation by his daughter. I mean, I would say some, I, I don't know. My I guess to have a thought on it, the whole how much was he to blame? It kind of is like the whole like, right? I feel like I got all fired up and I'm sure you, maybe you guys did too. Like the whole whose fault was it? Adams or Eve's? Mm. Yeah, I'm talking about. Sure. Oh, Eve. Landon, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely Eve. <laughs> the Bible. The word, the world's black and white. The world's black and white, Ross, and it starts with that story. Do you know what I'm talking about, though? Whose fault? Have I ever Adam's fault? Go yeah, ahead. No, no, no go ahead. Just for the audience, okay, well, you can I'm, I'm familiar. Okay. I'm so familiar. yeah, so yeah. Whose fault was it in the garden? In the garden, most people would say Eve, but in a way to kind of challenge men to be men. Um, the it was Adam's fault, and the response is, "Why the hell was the snake in the garden?" Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit of a ruhaha, but at the same time, it's probably worth like. Yeah, I don't think I've studied enough to compare Adam and Eve to Ken and Barbie. Studying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, and this is sort of a useful. Well, we're not exactly. It was Adam's fault, right? Adam's fault. <laughs> you know, the one thing we haven't brought up. You know, despite all of the banter about what Greta was saying or not saying, at the end of the day, this, even though, you know, the ideas might have said something one or the other, at the end of the day, it's still making money off of a toy that billions of dollars are made off of every year. And there's no way you could have sold less after this movie. Um, you have a really good-looking, jacked guy in the starring role. You have a very attractive woman in the starring role. And that's what makes money. Mm-hmm. And you got Snappy running along with it. So is it really anything different than the things that the story claims to demonize how much does the story demonize good looks i don't know that it you know what i mean it doesn't i think that's a i think that's a i think that's a critique of the movie it was like to to mike's point i'm gonna just read and this is a quote from margot roby okay or robbie whatever name is um so she's I think my pitch in the green light meeting was the studios have uh, prospered so much. I'm going to skip a couple lines for brevity. So she's trying to sell the movie and this is what she says. So she's trying to sell the movie to the, uh, to actually get it made. This is her quote. And now you've got Barbie and Greta Gerwig. And I think I told them it'd make a billion dollars, which maybe was overselling, but we had to make a movie. So yeah. And you what? They all probably had bottles of water sitting around them while talking about how the climate is burning, too. (laughs) Anything else on your mind? I mean, I think you could probably project Ken onto Adam like, oh, I don't know. And like, there are probably some similarities there. Okay, that was deep. <laughs> Keep studying. <laughs> <laughs>
What? Something, something that might undermine the entirety of our podcast. What would, what would be the? So I, I, I was thinking about this at one point. What would you respond to the person saying you guys are way overanalyzing this? This is a goofy romp. That isn't supposed mm. to make sense. It's just supposed to be part silly, part nostalgia, part glitzy aesthetic, part girl power, but in a girl's rule, boy's drool sort of way, not in like a serious feminist critique sort of way. There's that part of me that's always, I mean, I, I understand the cultural moment seems to suggest like, all right, this is, there's some political or some like, you know, uh, philosophical points being made. Um, I think just the general overarching theme of the movie is rather seems rather aware of the political and cultural moment. If it's going to be nominated for Oscars, and if it is like the only thing that 20 or 30 or 40% of our culture is informed on, then that is the art and the intellect of our culture. So it should be picked apart. Um, mm. You know, it opens with a scene that mirrors which movie? Of our prior podcast? <laughs> 2001. Well, those doofuses didn't see it, so they wouldn't know. The people <laughs> the people that I watched it, and it may or may not have been my wife's family, I don't know, had no idea what the reference point was. They were all like, uh, this is the, the, the first scene is kind of weird. I was like, well, it's a reference to the 2001 A Space Odyssey where they open up with a black monolith. And like, they're like, Oh, we didn't know that. Like, like, honestly, how many people have probably seen 2001? Like, I bet that went over. Speech guys have. Uh, <laughs> that went over everybody's head. Like, how would you know that? I mean, I bet the oh, the fraction who watched Barbie, thirty percent. Not even close. Thirty percent of America. <laughs> Of the people who watch Barbie, how many oh, have seen oh, oh. 2001? Probably 20%. Oh. No. No, I would guess. No. Girls don't watch movies like 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> uh, Less than 1%. Yeah. I would. I was going to oh, say wow. like Jeez. 5 to 10. Which we could get in like a philosophical discussion of just that point alone. Then why have it in there? But we'll save that for another day. I think I think that I think I would like say hats off to Greta for that. Like to no, I agree. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, she's but... yeah. No, I when it started off like that, like I was way more engaged than any other introduction to the concept. Like I was like, oh, good one. Like I don't think anyone else in the theater would have gotten that. I mean, it makes <clears throat> sense. It makes complete sense of why it was there and what it was communicating. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go to bed, I guess. All right. So we should end the podcast. Well, (laughs) I guess if you guys are so boring, you don't have anything else to say. We'll just go to bed. I was gonna take advantage of this early bedtime for a podcast. Okay. Good night, everybody. I still sort of, even though we already did, I sort of want to say it again. Thanks for drinking and thinking with us. Hey, everyone, be safe out there. Have a great night. Until next time. (laughs) See ya. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. 
I'm always number two No one knows how hard I tried Oh, oh, I, I have feelings that I can't explain Driving me insane All my life been so polite But I'll sleep alone tonight Cause I'm just kidding Anywhere else I'd be tame Is it my destiny to live and die A life of blonde fragility I'm just kidding Where I see love she sees a friend What will it take for her to see the man behind the tent and fight for me? I'll see you!